0: Welcome to the Civil War Center Podcast. Learn about the battles, events, and people that shaped a turning point in American history. I'm your host, Andy Lucian. Hello, everyone. Today we're sitting down with Richard Heisler to talk about Civil War Seattle. Civil War Seattle are tours that take you through Seattle and through the homes and historic locations of Civil War veterans who moved out there after the war. Richard also, runs, Richard also runs a blog, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and more. Today, we sit down to talk about Civil War Seattle and the impact that the city had on veterans of the American Civil War. I hope you enjoy this discussion. Hello, everybody. Today we are sitting down with Richard Heisler of the Civil War Seattle. How are you today?
1: Oh, great, Andrew. Thanks for having me on tonight. Yeah, I'm excited for this. Uh, We were just chatting a bit. Uh,
0: You're the first guest I've had who is also into TikTok.
1: (laughs) Yes, very much so.
0: Yeah. So uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, You can even talk about the TikTok. How have you gotten into the Civil War and how have you studied it? And has this been a past New Year's forever?
1: Yeah, I mean, literally since birth, I think. Um, both both my parents are pretty into history, my father especially, um, but I was born just outside of New York in central New Jersey, and uh, so a lot of our m- m- vacations and things when I was really young, you know, from, 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 like I said, birth really was going to places like Gettysburg and Antietam and museums in New York and so on. Uh, So I was kind of steeped in it pretty early. Um, My family also has a pretty long, I guess, tradition of military service. Uh, Not my father, but all his brothers, my grandfathers, great grandfathers, everybody um, was participating in in some conflict or another going back to the American Revolution. So I think that there was an awareness of that in our family that made it really easy as a kid to have military history books to read and play with my grandfather's you know uniforms and medals and 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 old you know bayonets and stuff like that from world <laughs> war one that from our family uh so i just started that way and uh trips to gettysburg were probably the most formative going to see the cyclorama at gettysburg and and spending time on little round top that kind of stuff at three or four years old just it just set it just set the course
0: you're similar right. to me we
1: took man,
0: i it was actually me. I begged my parents. I'm like, "Can we go to Gettysburg as a little kid?" But I, I'm the same way. That's what how it started for me was going to Gettysburg. It was yeah. always the little dioramas for me, the little soldiers with the smoke, yeah, and the muskets, and I, I loved it. And uh, we would get bags of the soldiers, and I'd go home and set up my own dioramas and stuff. So it's yeah, like
1: experience. That's exactly what I did. My two favorites were, well, three favorites were the cyclorama at Gettysburg. That was. I mean, that thing just rocked me to my core as a child to to Uh stand in front of that thing. The, the old Gettysburg wax museum. Yeah. uh, I still like, I can almost smell that place from from the, (laughs) like remembering that it's like the experience there. And then some of the books that I would get from Gettysburg, one in particular was this civil war coloring book that they still produce. You can still get it on Amazon and it was civil war uniforms and stuff. And it had this centerfold spread that was a, Pickett's Charge scene, so it was like you said with the dioramas and all the little figures. I could go in and color every little figure on the Pickett's Charge thing, and then take my toy soldiers and set that up on the ground. And <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's. I'm sure there's a lot of people if they've gotten to the point like you and I have probably have similar origins, right? Um, but all of those little things, the figures and the toy soldiers, and uh, and just going to the battlefield, and and yeah, it really gave me a. a pretty convicted interest in it from, from early on. So is Gettysburg a particular interest to study for you in the war? Um, yes and no. I think it is because um, I've probably spent more time there than any other place. It's easiest uh, to get hooked on Gettysburg, I think mm-hmm. um, for anybody. Cause there's just so much about it. It's, it's more accessible from distance than a lot of, a, yeah. lot of other places are. Um, and with, at least with civil war Seattle recently, I've put more specific focus on Gettysburg. Um, I did a a couple tours for my, my walking tour business this summer that were Seattle at Gettysburg and it was historic cemetery tours telling the story of the battle of Gettysburg through the individual stories of the Seattle veterans who were there because they were pretty much involved in every aspect of the battle in this the the reaction to that tour and how many it was sold out every time i offered it and there was just this mag kind of magnetic quality to that subject that i didn't get with some of the other tour programs Mm -hmm. um and now it's become a, a a presentation uh that i'll be doing a couple of them in january actually so it's not something I sought out to do, but I think just the the appetite for it is there. So I've kind of I've really gone, circled back, I guess, to Gettysburg as a as an area of focus recently. I know like, Seattle.
0: I know there's quite a bit of Gettysburg books too. So that coupled with your story, I had to yeah. Have to like, are you are you a big Gettysburg fan? <laughs> yeah, the, the Gettysburg the campaign.
1: Doesn't say the campaign histories are on the top shelf behind me, so the Gettysburg ones wind up there. We go further down, there's less Gettysburg, but (laughs) but it is a it is a a, you know, just from my roots, like like you, just going there, you know, and going some of my favorite memories, like going to reenactments there back in the 1990s with my dad and going up to Little Round Top together, and uh, just it's good, it's special for me that way. Um, even my my third great-grandfather was a New York veteran. Uh, he served as a nurse during the battle, and then it was at Camp Letterman for three months afterwards. So it's... our, our My family history is even kind of tied particularly to that battle, too. So, so it's resonates.
0: The movie Gettysburg helped quite a bit, as well, and the book The Killer Angel, too. Really <laughs> yeah, helped to movie. shape it in popular opinion.
1: Yeah, yeah. The movie, man, when I was just out of college, kind of in college in... in coming out of it is really when reenacting hit a peak uh, as far as numbers and and that kind of thing and the Gettysburg movie fueled all of that so that, like that late, late 90s early 2000s was just I mean all it was is like Jeff Daniels quotes of Chamberlain and just <laughs> you know bust uh, Buster Kill Rain and all that yeah, And it was, right. it was that movie was the Civil War for so many people in that period it was mm-hmm. so inspiring and drove so much interest in it um so yeah you had to love Gettysburg if you were in that era right. when that movie was out
0: well tell us a bit about Civil War Seattle um how did it get its start what's what's kind of the aim of what you guys do out there
1: I yeah out there so as in
0: being in Ohio so
1: <laughs> yeah of course um so what Civil War Seattle is is my um I guess you would say public history project and in this year it became a walking tour business. Um, And it was, it happened pretty organically. I was, you know, had this lifelong interest in the Civil War, had, uh, I went to art school and I had the intention of being a historical illustrator, Um, you know, coming in the wake of the movie Gettysburg and artists like Don Troiani and some of these guys were really hitting their peak with Civil War art. um, I thought that's what I was going to wind up doing. I was here in Seattle to, that's when I moved here in 1991 to go to art school. And I was interested in that history, of course, passionately, but I wasn't, I didn't draw any local connections to it at all. It's all Gettysburg is there, Chancellorsville is there, Nashville is, it's all there. It happened there. What doesn't have anything to do with me here. Mm -hmm. um, And existed that way really until a couple of years ago when I was visiting one of our local cemeteries that has uh, hundreds literally, of Union veterans buried in one particular cemetery. And as I was walking through, I noticed three men from the same New York regiment that my ancestor fought in the 97th New York. And I was, it somehow that clicked in my head. like, what the hell are these guys doing here? Mm. Like, these guys, this is like, did they come here together? Because there's three of them from the same regiment in this small cemetery that there's not a lot of men from the same regiment or from the same anything there that's just a total like grab bag of of different regiments and and and, in branches of service and so on but it's like wow there's three of those guys here in the cemetery what's what's the story there and looked into one of them and he was wounded at Fredericksburg probably within 50 yards or so of my ancestor and that's when it was like wow these guys these guys were there at the same time. And like, this is when I go there to look at that place and where my ancestor fought there or at Gettysburg, this guy was with him. Mm. They were side by side. And the fact that they were both wounded at the slaughter pen farm area of Fredericksburg, my ancestor wasn't wounded severely. And he became detailed as a nurse just after Fredericksburg. And then he stayed as a nurse, division hospital nurse for the rest of his service and at that point, I thought, wow! Not only were they bl- laying bleeding on the same spot of the battlefield at Fredericksburg, but they may have wound up next to each other in the hospital tent right. on the other on the south side of the Rappahannock. When was my ancestor shifted to nursing duty? Was he potentially even caring for this man, this other guy, the Seattle veteran at some point? In at that moment, it became very personal. Like, wow! This is this history is here. Like I don't have to look far away. Like this is so intimate and so personal that this guy was, was there, maybe spoke to him. I don't know. Who knows? Um, And so I started dabbling and learning more about who they were and started a little Facebook page because I had a lot of friends that have wonderfully successful Facebook pages. And I was seeing what they're doing. I'm like, "Ah, you know, I'll throw, I'll throw my hat in the in the ring here just for fun, just because I love it and I want to share it. It's a cool thing. I want to write oh, the best reason to start. I want to write a three-paragraph little description about what this guy did yeah. uh, at this battle because I found out about it and it's so cool. And I did more, more of that and there was this incredibly positive organic response to it where people were going, holy crap, that is so cool. I had no idea. And I'd say, yeah, I didn't either. I've lived here for 30 years. Up to my eyeballs in civil war history and i never looked i it was right literally right under my feet in a lot of cases and i never i never thought to pay attention to it and when i went to look it up there was there's no information about it easily publicly available there's some organizations like the uh you know in genealogical circles or descendant organizations uh that have some people that were pretty passionate about that uh again in the wake of gettysburg movie And the Ken Burns series, there was a surge in Civil War interest. And so here, a lot of people put a lot of work into cemetery restoration, uh, getting replacement headstones for these veterans. So there was a a group that were interested in it, but it's small, a couple Mm -hmm. dozen people, and there's nothing publicly. Um, And I thought, man, if I'm into it, and I'm looking for it, and I can't find anything, somebody's got to do this job. So why not me? Why don't I start a Facebook page, throw some pictures, some little stories, and Within a couple months, local radio stations were asking me for interviews about it, organizations. uh, The Facebook page blew up pretty quick for Facebook. (laughs) Anyway, it's slow, slow going these days to grow on Facebook. But it was like, wow, people care about this and they want to know. And what really changed the game is I decided to do a tour. Like, you know, I'd love to, I love talking, I love to share this with people. Let me schedule a little thing and see if people will show up and the first one I did I just put it on Facebook and four dozen people showed up the wow. first night and I was like whoa wait I am I am not even ready for this I've never <laughs> talked to four dozen people before um in the first few tours I did more and more they were kind of kind of a little awkward as I kind of learned the, the craft of doing it I guess and I worked together with some local historical societies to say, Hey, if you want to partner up with me, I've got all this information about these people in your, you know, your kind of jurisdiction, so to speak. Um, And started collaborating with all these people. And then before you know it, um, the demand was such that I, that I made it a business and started, you know, booking tours every weekend all summer long about the connections between the civil war and Seattle. It's more, it's, dovetails heavily with the local history and what these guys did here, which we can talk about more. Um, So it's, I wasn't expecting any of this. Um, And now, so it went from a Facebook page of like, hey, this guy got shot next to my great third great-grandfather to, wow, I've got a a full-on tour bit, sold out summer weekends tour business and roundtable presentations and podcasts and all this stuff in 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 a TikTok that I love to do um all based on just just hey let me share a couple of photos so um the more I did it the more response there was and the more I enjoyed doing it and dedicating more time to it and as it was able to actually bring in money through the tour business I thought you know I'm gonna really I'm gonna go with it and see what happens and um it's I, I think it's unique and it's fun and I get to uncover stories. That people don't get anywhere else because they're only published in Seattle newspapers. They're only in a letter collection at the University of Washington or my local historical society, which has massive, massive amounts of Civil War related objects in their collection. And without someone looking at it through those lenses, they've just been in a drawer for 120 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so bringing this stuff out, it's it's. I think there's just a lot of value for the the, the history field in large to, to put this out there.
0: Um, and I think it's surprising. I, I talked to Ted Savas of Savas Beatty. Um, mm-hmm. I talked to a lot of different people, yourself included, who turned the Civil War into a livelihood. And I think yeah. to an extent, we feel like it peaked uh, all these years later, but there's still a huge yeah. demand out there for it.
1: Yeah, and what I've what I've found the best is to not make it a battlefield tour with your uh, like boomer uncle. That to, to to shift away from that style, and I and I say that it sounds disparaging in some ways. It is because I think that detracts from a lot of people looking at it. Um, Is they just think, oh, you know, my dad or my granddad or my uncle's really into Civil War stuff. And I try to brand it and sell it and present it differently than that. Um, And and I always start off my tours with like, this is not going to be about tactical history of the Civil War. This is going to be some interesting stories, but this is going to be their lives personally and mm-hmm. it's going to be Seattle history and it's going to be local history. And it's going to be this merging of all this stuff in history of civil war veterans that were massive advocates for women's voting in, in Washington territory in the 1870s. Like that story sells the civil war side of it rather than just go, Joe Schmo was in the third, the third division battalion because people just go and they just power down and go to sleep. Um, so being able to present it differently, I think, is what's allowed me to, to turn it into something that, that is becoming self-supporting anyway. It's, it's, tour business is tricky yeah. it, regardless of what you're doing, whether it's whale watching or coffee shops or breweries or whatever, seasonal, and it's marketing a big challenge and everything, but, um, but when the public responds to it a certain way, you can go, oh, okay, there's, there's interest here. And I prefer, and I don't know what other people would say, I know you've had, uh, you know, Pete Carmichael on, and I know he's engaged with a lot of public history and stuff. I prefer people who are not interested in the Civil War, more hyster- historically literate to understand it, but to not have preconceived ideas and not come in with a bunch of, well, actually, and, you know, well, you know, so-and-so, Armistead fell at the, I, you know, I, nobody, nobody on this tour cares where exactly Armistead was. Yeah, how many paces from the stone wall and all that it's it's bigger picture than that and that's uh engaging it that way is is has broad appeal i think when you get out of those civil war specific trenches it's it's history that people go wow i didn't know and you go Mm -hmm. well okay cool are you interested yeah let me tell you more and um and i think the history field in general could use a whole lot more of that
0: storytelling as opposed to just yeah spitting facts at you regurgitating yeah. I mean, that's like think back to college or high school I think everyone listening can relate the teacher that you liked was not the one who said this happened on this day in 1861 yeah. and like you were saying you know the 66th Ohio moved against the 17th Tennessee and I mean yeah it's just yeah it goes over your head. I mean, even if you're, yeah. no matter how literate you are on the subject, I think it's still difficult to follow that. Yeah. But and there's a, there, it into a narrative.
1: is much more, I mean, that's why the killer angels was so popular. Oh yeah. 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 I think that there's an absolute time and place to that. There's people that when I travel to Gettysburg and visit, I say, you take me on a tour and you show me, man, man, lay it on thick. Mm-hmm. I want to hear all about, you know, let's talk about what, you know, the different fields of fire for these artillery batteries and all this stuff. But you got to ask for that. And if you start with that as the base point as the takeoff point, it's really hard to communicate with people, but then you, you weave in like, who were these guys and what did they do? And Seattle just lays that out on a platter because none of that tack, you can throw those things in. Oh, this guy was in picket's charge. This guy was wounded or this guy was in this prison and then Mm. tell that story. But, uh, but they're, It's not the focal point of the whole thing and the individual stories are what captivate people.
0: And I would imagine you have a fine line to walk, similar to what I'm doing, which is you have newcomers and then you have people who know a lot and you have Mm -hmm. to bridge the gap. Is that something? I know you said you prefer people who know history, but I'm sure you have do you get both crowds that come out?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's I think that's when you're sort of knowing your audience in different platforms. And so on Facebook, for example. Um, I haven't been posting a lot on Facebook, but all, all last year and all summer, I did a lot of live stream interviews. And in fact, with authors from Savaspeedy, we did our first Wednesday, we had a different author, a different book uh, that would come on and we would get deep in the weeds about stuff. And I'm like, this is great because the people that want this will tune in tonight. And this this is their time. Let's you know have Alex Rossino to come on and talk about his... Research into the lost orders of before Antietam and all that. I'm like, this this is great. Let's geek out on this. I'll let I'll just turn it over to him and let him tell, and people can ha- ask those questions. Those aren't the people on TikTok. Those aren't the people on a walking tour. The Civil War Roundtable presentation that I'll do next month is going to be different than the presentation I do for the local historical society mm. because they're just it's just different stuff so if you don't adapt to that you can't you, you can't have that so it's it is a fine line but having different outlets for those different things allows you to pick and choose and if you just one one package fits all and it's you're you can't you can't get any of them at that point mhm
0: how deep into the weeds do you like to get when you're studying the civil war is that a personal interest of yours that you try to yeah to loot yeah for, the for sure
1: You know, I've found, I've changed, I've evolved in it for sure. Like, so, you know, these books behind me here, like the, uh, what's it, David Martin's or whatever sort of Martin and fans, Gettysburg books, where it's just, they're not the deepest of the deep, but they're so comprehensive as far as, you know, movements of troops on an hourly or half hourly level and like uh-huh. exact position stuff. I really, really liked that. And the more that I've gotten into these personal histories, the more that I find that's what captivates me. So now mm-hmm. my research will be going to the University of Washington special collections to look at some old ledger book between <laughs> uh, what this guy who was say a 14th Connecticut infantryman who stood pretty much near the, the high water mark at, at, on the battlefield of Gettysburg, where the Vermont brigade was, or the Connecticut brigade was. Um, and he was a leading railroad man here in Seattle afterwards and a leading philanthropist and uh, had his hands in so many businesses and leading the city. Now I get to go into the city archives and untangle his whole life in all of these different things and activities with the grand army of the Republic and what they did to commemorate certain battle anniversaries or, Uh, you know did they have a Christmas ball in 1897 and what building was it in and I can go down to Seattle downtown and stand on that corner and this is where such and such building was in 1897 and these guys walked up this staircase on this day 119 years ago and I can figure out like who was there and uh, so I get heavily into the weeds with their veterans lives more so than tactical battlefield stuff now.
0: Yeah, so you. But man. I can still,
1: I can still. You could go on and on about about uh, something happened at Shiloh or Chickamauga, and I'm all ears for sure.
0: So th- I want to get to Civil War Seattle. I know we're kind of, yeah, getting a little lost, but it's fine because it's a podcast, right? It's a discussion. So when you study, this is a personal question of mine, and I'm sure mm-hmm. there's listeners who have this question. So when you're studying these campaign histories, how do you remember all those troop movements? Because I know for me, it's like in one year, and then I remember it temporarily and then I learn a new battle which is it out the other
1: It's like (laughs) that's a good question there's a lot of stuff that I don't remember that I'll read that whole book and by the time I get to the end of the book I'm like I don't have any idea where so and so's brigade was but when I was on that page I could totally visualize it Mm -hmm. and the stuff that sticks with me is the stuff that is reinforced through looking at it through three or four different sources maybe Okay. Hearing that story a couple different times, maybe hearing a lecture on it, and then reading two different books about it, and then needing to go back and an- answer a question for myself about it and go back into it the second time. And then I'll go, oh, yeah. And then it'll sort of stick from that point forward. Um, second Manassas is a great one. Like, uh, I'm not, I'm, I couldn't tell you even the, the army structure of Pope's army and who was in charge of what division and that kind of, but I know the section of the battle that I've really gone back to three, four, five, six times because of the specific stories of my Seattle guys. Mm. Now I know a whole lot about Bronner's farm or what happens there or different aspects of the battle, but a lot of it is it's, it's gone. So I couldn't tell you about it, but, but the stuff that I, I want to know just enough to go back and look at it a second time is usually enough. Um, The Gettysburg battlefield guides, like, I don't know how they do it. Right. But they, but see, the thing is, is they, that's what they do. Whereas I could tell you where 200 veterans lived in Seattle, like where were their houses? I, we could drive around the city and I go, Oh, this guy was here. This guy was here. This guy worked here. Oh, that building, that was that guy's company making creosote to put on pilings to build docks in seattle so it's that's my battlefield i guess
0: so you've looked at it from two different perspectives like a zoom yeah yeah. eagle's eye and then on a more micro level
1: yeah but if i was in gettysburg i would that's how my brain would still function i would know which rock so-and-so's right flank was on and and i'd have that intimate knowledge of it but not not being connected with it on the daily basis Uh, I lose it. I lose it too. It's hard. (laughs) It's, it's really hard. I've read so much about Chickamauga and I couldn't, I couldn't tell you much about it, but I know where my Seattle guy's leg was removed. Mm. But, but as far as where somebody's division or battalion or brigade was, it's, it's definitely muddy in my mind. So I've talked to
0: people and I'm like, how are you spouting all this off right now? But yeah, well, but I want to know a bit. So, Tell us a bit about Seattle. You mentioned, as we're talking before sure. uh, we started recording, that it's just a little blip on the map of America uh, yeah. for the Civil War. So tell us a bit about it, kind of how it evolves, and you know what role it does play in the Civil War.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Seattle itself, the, the first white settlers – come here in the in November of 1851 it's a party they call the Denny party it's a group of people from Illinois there's others that are here from Maine and New York and others that are in the vicinity there's a group that sets out here with the mission to find a site to set the roots down to what would become a port city so like a lot of cities elsewhere that maybe spring up because you know Pittsburgh was a logical place for a city to be because of the three rivers coming together and just it naturally that was the spot Seattle was kind of intentional in its early history so e- even in 1851 is when they're first coming to even look at it as a, as a place otherwise there's some logging camps around here there's of course native americans that have been here for thousands and thousands of years on this site they're used this that's it's a place that's existed but it's not a it's not a town. It's not a village. It's nothing. They come here and say, this is where we want to build our city. This mm-hmm. is a vision that we have for this place. By 1860 and the outbreak of the civil war, Seattle itself numbers just over 200 permanent residents. So it's a village at best. It's a few houses that are clinging to very steep hillsides along the, the Puget sound. So that the main body of water that we're, that we're on here. By 18, it's 1864, Seattle gets its first newspaper. So we can get quicker reactions, or not reactions, but news of the conflict. People here were very interested in it, but it's peripheral. We have one regiment of troops from Washington that are serving in Washington during the war. They're guarding frontier, basically what you would probably best know is frontier outposts, forts, and, and uh providing settler security from conflicts with native americans or that that sort of thing that's typical western military service only three companies of the regiment that was here were actually raised in washington they were mostly from california they filled the void when a lot of federal troops dis, displaced and went back east to fight versus confederates so there's military action going here it's not it's very 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 peripheral um, there's some political conflict. Some pe- people from the south, some people from the north, are, they're arguing more than anything.
0: At that point.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but they're super, super interested in it. And at that point, until we get our newspaper in 64, it takes weeks to find out about anything that happens. Hmm. The get- Battle of Gettysburg, the earliest I can find any mention of it in the newspaper is July 21st wow. of 1863. The new, it's literally has to come – down the Pacific Coast, across Panama, and up the Pacific Coast to get old newspapers to Seattle to get the news.
0: Which is the route Grant took, right? I think to get out west. Yeah, the, with yeah, the anybody, yeah. Anybody, yeah, anybody that more. was
1: here pre prior to the war, that's what they had to do, or it was months long wagon trip across. Yeah, the, right. And that. Um, so there's not much happening here. 1870, the population is still only. I think 1,400 people in the in the town, and at that point, you could count the number of men who had participated in the Civil War in Seattle itself. On one hand, um, there's there's two that I know specifically were here, in, by the end of 1865, um, mm. but they're very few. 1880, the Grand Army of the Republic, which is the Union Veterans Organization, isn't even it's, it was established itself in 1866 in Illinois. We didn't have our own here in Washington territory until 1878, so 13 years before the the veterans get organized enough to participate in that national organization. Mm. And in 1880, there's only in Seattle there's only 75 veterans that live here, so they're starting to trickle out here. But by 1890, the population in Seattle between 1880 and 1890 increased by 1,100 percent. Wow. Because the transcontinental railroad al- arrived in this region in 1884 and 1886, then there's a huge surge of immigration coming from basically the Midwest to here. The, the story of the immigration, we could do for probably two hours. Um, but safe to say that these men are moving westward after the war, but they just don't get here until the railroad does in general. 1890. There's probably about 1500 that live in the greater Seattle area. These are Union veterans, but by 1905, it's up over 3,000. Uh, so they get here way, way, way after the war. Um, but when they get here, they're kind of they're they're a significant part of a leading, a really a leading generation because the city's so young, right? Because it didn't even exist as a town a village during the Civil War, and it doesn't come into its own until the late 1880s. So these guys come here, they're 40, 50, six years, years old with families. Uh, the city's very, the population and the city itself are very young. The average person, if you look at the 1880 census or territorial censuses, heads of households are 35 and under here by la- in large part. But then there's this whole group of men who had all fought in the civil war and they're all the guys that come out here with careers and leadership skills and training and education so they come out here and become judges and lawyers and physicians and engineers and police chiefs and architects Uh, they're also painting houses and working as farmers and stuff but the way they insert themselves in here has a massive influence Mm. and their identity as veterans really bonds them together So it's a very, very, very unique situation Um, because if there are civil war veterans in Cleveland, Cleveland's been a city for a long time and they're just part of the machine of running Cleveland. And of course that generation takes leadership Mm -hmm. in Cleveland or Boston or whatever, but Seattle, they're all the first to do it. So they're, uh, they're chronologically very late for, an influential generation of men who had been in the civil war. Um, So what happens here and a lot of the storytelling that I do is doesn't even get going until 1885. So 20 years after the war, and it doesn't even hit a peak until 1900, 1905. Um, But these, these are the same guys. They were, these are the same guys at Chickamauga and Gettysburg and all these places, but they live 30 years of adulthood before they even get here. Mm. So it's it's a it's an interesting thing. It's hard to I don't know that that explains it very well, um, but the chronology of how it goes and why these guys show up and when they show up is is tricky, and that's the, the crux challenge of what I do, is giving that context and importance and in those stories.
0: And how do you set out to find these men who come out here? I mean. It's not probably as easy as picking up a regimental history because they're moving no. to Seattle years later. So how does that work?
1: Well, one thing that the I I guess the in, the entrance to this was for me and probably for a lot of people is visiting our historic cemeteries in the city. And you walk around the cemeteries and go, man, there's a lot of these old Civil War veterans headstones around the cemeteries. Mm-hmm. So that opens the ability to question their existence right and fortunately there's been generations of civil war enthusiasts and genealogists before me that went through these cemeteries and these records and made uh they're hard to find but made you know collections of lists of civil war veterans in such and such cemetery or civil war veterans and such and such town or different historical societies. So you kind of know they're there. So the guide, there's, there are markers along the trail that people have, have looked through and dug through the cemetery records and at least created that framework to consolidate some acknowledgement of their existence. They've really receded into the shadows historically in this city. And that's the, that's the challenge. And that's what makes my work Difficult but also interesting is going and finding who these guys were by just okay. This guy's in the cemetery. Who? Let me go back now and see. He was in the 14th Ohio. What? What did he do in the 14th? When was he enlisted? What was his war like? What was he a participant in? What did he do between then and when he got into Seattle? And then you wind up in census records. New historic newspapers are where I spend a lot of my time. And Grand Army goings on in different veterans organizations, all in the newspapers and the libraries. And um, so that's really, that's just it. And that's why I feel like I have a job with this thing is because this information isn't out there. And that's where I feel my duty lies Mm -hmm. is consolidating it. And then using my ability to talk, which you're getting exposed to here (laughs) uh, to lead tours. Cause that's what I love to do is just be a storyteller but then is to put this stuff into what will eventually, hopefully, become books, uh, in, in other resources that then people can be curious about this and have somewhere to go. Because prior to this, there really isn't, unless you know a guy who knows a guy who's in a civil war roundtable or something that maybe has looked into this. Mm-hmm. It's not publicly accessible, um, and and so uh, it's 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 hard. But I'm trying to. Hopefully, my legacy will be from this is like, oh, people can go to the work that I did, which will build upon the work of the cemetery research people. And then I can bring these guys to life and give them a context uh, and then, you know, make it easier for people to find this part of our, of our history.
0: Yeah, that's a great cause. And um, these tours that you give, so it mm-hmm. sounds like you're going – maybe the houses that they have, their burial sites, kind of tell us a bit about how these tours work.
1: Yeah, the tours mainly this summer um, are through Seattle Historic Cemeteries because they're kind of our outdoor museum. Um, Seattle doesn't have a lot of historic architecture. It's a new city, We, we rebuilt here very quickly. So it's hard to find physical remnants in a cohesive way to do tours from point to point around the city. But in the cemeteries, we have specific Civil War veterans, Grand Army of the Republic Cemetery with 500 veterans buried. So we can walk through that entire cemetery and say, let's pick out 16 guys today and we'll tell the history of the cemetery, which will tell the history of the veterans a little bit, kind of like we're doing now, and then go through and do specific stories.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then... I can build thematically on those, so I did a tour of just the story of the Battle of Gettysburg through the Seattle veterans that were there. So we'll walk two hours through two really, really large cemeteries um, and go, this guy was on Colts Hill, this guy was in Pickett's Church, this guy was across the fence from that guy at you know, 3 p.m. on July 1st mm-hmm. on Seminary Ridge. And so I can kind of weave it all through, like use the cemeteries as the context just to tell the stories. Um, and then I did a t- story of, or a tour of Confederate veterans in Seattle. Let's, you know, cause everybody asks, that's the first, were there Confederates here? I'm like, yeah, there were a few. So let's do a tour about them. Uh, a tour that I did that was really fun was, going through this one cemetery of the relationship between union and Confederate veterans in Seattle. How did they get along together in a neutral place? Uh, Talk about the reunion events that they did, the ways that they did get along or didn't get along. Some of these guys Mm -hmm. had companies together, their children married one another. Um, So we can go through the cemetery and go all those stories. Once guy's son murdered the son of another guy one was a Confederate, one was a Union soldier, and then like that whole story is really dramatic. So the cemeteries really give the the canvas to paint any picture on mm. that way. Um, and the most successful one that I did that was sold out every single time I did it this summer was murder and true crime among the Civil War veterans in Seattle. Multiple Ooh. of them were murdered here. Really, several of them were prosecuting attorneys or judges involving sensational murder cases. And two of them over a span of 12 years were the county coroner for King County in Seattle. So they had to investigate and make determinations on what happened to people. And their dying in Victorian Seattle was a horror show. So getting to tell the stories of, people getting chopped into 17 pieces in the sawmill oh, or run over by the train or the crazy, crazy murder suicides uh, and all this stuff that happened, but use the civil war thing is just to connect the dots mm. to footnote it in the background. Um, so it's, it branches out from the civil war stuff, but the cemeteries allow me to go through and do this in any way that I want any angle that i want to take on this we can go through and stand over these individuals and say this guy was involved in this and and then tell the story so and are
0: these veterans against veterans committing these crimes or are they committing crimes against others or
1: um, now uh, <laughs> some i let me see i don't know of any specific veteran on veteran violence in seattle one Seattle Confederate veteran who moved to Virginia the final years of his life died because he got in a fight with another veteran at a soldier, Confederate soldier's home in Richmond. They fought over they, – they got in a fight over who was going to be the first to get their hair cut, and they got in a <laughs> physical fight over the barber's chair, what? a tussle, and the guy fell down, and he died like a week later. Um, and he he lived in Seattle for like thirty years. There was one who was convicted of manslaughter. He killed somebody. Um, there's a number of suicides that the one the two that were murdered were murdered by uh, people who were not not veterans themselves, but had some kind of personal relationship with them, it seems.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, the one, there's one Confederate veteran. His son killed a guy who was the son of a staff officer for General Meade. So wow. that's the closest of, like, blue-gray violence okay. here in Seattle. Um, yeah, that's the that's closest I can get. There were some fights, for sure. There were two guys that had both lost an arm that got in a fight. They are both Union veterans. Uh, they got in a fight. Neither one of them died, but one was injured pretty severely. Uh, yeah, I think that's none of, yeah, we didn't have a Confederate kill a union soldier or likewise. So were these, were these like soldiers who commit crimes then after the war?
0: Like, yeah. Like, so like the did. person who gets chopped up, what's that story? <laughs>
1: uh, well, there was one guy, he was a union veteran and he, he didn't get chopped up. Well, there's a couple that had accidents in sawmills. One guy lost a foot in a sawmill, but there was one guy that was involved in a story um, because he was working in a sawmill, sawmill here in Washington and his, saw, his part of the mill stopped and he couldn't figure out what was going on. But in the adjacent room, a guy had gotten caught in the thing and was like stuck in the, in the stuff in it. There was a union veteran who got a job running an elevator in the 1890s got the job because another grand army, of the public man got him the job because he was 80 years old or 70 years old. He couldn't work outside anymore. Hey, I, I can hook you up. Yeah. This guy's going to quit. You know, if you can come in and you can run the elevator, he got in a gruesome accident in the elevator uh, where he got flipped out of the elevator and basically turned into cheeseburger between the elevator and the elevator shaft. Um, so some of them find ways – they survived the entire Civil War. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> homesteading in Kansas in the 1870s, uh, all the stuff, and then wind up getting, like, run over by a wagon in Seattle when they're 80, 80 years old. Our f- first automobile fatality in the city was a Civil War veteran that got run over by a car. He slipped wow. off the curb and car ran over him. Um, so there's a lot of weird stuff like that uh, that, that – is just in keeping with seattle victorian seattle was just easy to find a way to get killed in a bad way your
0: cannon um, fodder for like four or five years and then you get killed yeah killed by a there's elevator. a confederate
1: there was a confederate soldier he was a picket's charge survivor actually who got in 1914 or 15 he got hit with a baseball because some kids were playing baseball. They, they, it, I don't know, whatever, they hit the baseball, whatever. He was on his porch and it hit him and he went over to their house and he pulled out a pistol and started shooting. And he missed the kid. He missed the kid by like nine inches. It, the bullet went right into the a chair or something right next to him. So we almost had, he almost killed people because he went in with a pistol and just started blasting. Just wow. knocked on the door. Yeah. Don't you hit me with the baseball and bah, 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 just started blasting away into their into their house. So that was a close call. We almost had a Pickett's Church survivor kill a family.
0: Uh, That's unbelievable. I I mean, yeah. I guess it makes sense. The horrors you would see. I mean, yeah. They didn't diagnose PTSD like back then, but I'm sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. There was a lot of a lot of tough suicides here, but less but less in a place like Ohio or New York or somewhere because. Uh, or kansas a lot of them right after the war they had a high rate of suicides in kansas say in the 1870s by the time they get out here they're pretty stable people to Mm. make to make that transition to be all the way out here and they talk about that there's one veteran who says the veterans out here are strong of body and mind and they're younger than average Um, and so we had a lot of guys here very late as far as like Civil War veterans still being alive. Um, So they kind of knew. One guy said, you rarely see crippled old veterans in Seattle. You won't see long, you know, the one-armed guy with the tin can or tin cup shaking it for begging because they couldn't – they didn't have the strength to get through life to get them all the way across the country and that stuff on on average. So they tend to be pretty well-adjusted guys. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Ironically, it's you wouldn't think – because, man, suicide was – was an hourly thing in Seattle in those days in um, in our but our veterans tended to be pretty operate in a pretty even keel except a couple of them they were more likely to get killed than to kill somebody else for sure
0: that's fascinating though I mean yeah. look we talked about bringing this full circle at the beginning yeah when you pick up that Civil War book it's typically even if you pick up one that happens to look at individual men it's following them yeah. the battlefield but to follow these guys through yeah. the culmination of their life is is really interesting to see what yeah. they become and what becomes of them sure um, obviously we know what happens to you know people like grant and lee um, yeah but the common soldier i think that's a fascinating way to look at yeah the war.
1: And, and that's there's there's very few general officers or leadership there there's some but most everybody that's out here is just an average Joe soldier, and that's what's most interesting to me is because even if there was a famous general or something here, everybody would know the story. Isaac Stevens was a pre-war governor, Washington Territory. He was killed at the Battle of Chantilly with the clutching the flag in his hands, and people know about him. People know about Pickett or McClellan or Grant, um, but the dudes that came here afterwards are just they're – just, they're just as average as you and I walking through the city in their, in their lifetime. Um, and, and, but it can get really personal. Like where I live is a small suburb in Seattle called Bothell. And this town was seeded by a small group of Civil War veterans and their families that moved here together from the same county in west, the same community in western Pennsylvania. And wow. they, were, they literally platted the streets, built the first homes, were the first mayor, the first person on the school board. The town is named after one of the families, Bothell, uh, an Andersonville survivor, George Bothel, is the namesake of this town. He was a ter- uh, state representative, a mayor. Like he, he is this town. It's literally named after him. Mm-hmm. The ha- the land that my house is on, that I live on here, was farm was originally homesteaded by a man named William Johnson, seventy eighth Pennsylvania Volunteer Infantry. And wow. so I, I am standing now on this land. I, don't, I can't walk to my car without being connected to that history. If you don't know about it, you don't know about it. My neighbor doesn't give a shit about <laughs> it. That's for sure. But I do. And so I, I go, man, this is William Johnson land. His homestead claim was offset by the years that he spent in the Civil War service. Hmm. Like that literally enabled him to get title to this piece of land that I now own. Um, so, it, and I can go all the way back to, to what, what the 78th Pennsylvania did at, you know, Chickamauga. It's, you know, it's just which, which lens are you looking at it through? Um, so it's here. That history is all here. And it goes from today all the way back to, to wherever you want to stop in the Civil War.
0: Well, the thing I think I find most interesting is, in addition to you continuing their lives after the war, is that someone in a part of the country that they may feel like doesn't have much of a connection to yeah. the War may have much more than they realize.
1: Absolutely. And Seattle's kind of like the last on the list. Yeah. Right. So if you go, you go East or South from here, it's that, that history is, is even earlier than Seattle in any town, any historic cemetery, anything between here and the Atlantic ocean, there's going to be somebody that did something in the Civil War that's there. So it could be a small town in Idaho, it could be a city in California. Every, I mean, South Dakota in Kansas, in, in Montana, in Idaho are filled with Civil War veterans, maybe more so than here even, because that's where they were first and then they came here after. Confederates, man, somebody studied, I haven't talked to them yet much, but so many Confederates flooded to the gold mines of Southern Idaho right after the Civil War in Nevada. That whole there's there's towns that are named after Confederate generals in Idaho and Nevada, in Montana. Wow. And it's, it's so it's it's there. It's you just gotta you just gotta look. And and the public loves it when people that don't know about this find out. They're like, wow, I had no idea. That's the number one quote. <laughs> I had no idea or were there Confederates? Those are the two questions <laughs> I get every single time, no matter what I do um and and uh and it's captivating to people and that's what makes drives me to keep doing it. Is because right you know you find out and then my favorite thing is i've as i've made connections with families descendant families mm. uh and they have photos and muskets and letters and diaries and all this stuff that's just sitting in a in a in a box here in seattle and and Nobody, No, one person came into the museum one day with a pile of letters, tin types, multiple tin types during the Civil War. The guy's musket with his name carved into it. That's just It's just here in a house. And he, you know, his family brought it here. He had it here. A woman just last week that I'm friends with, their family gave me a whole bunch of stuff, photographs and all kinds of things that, that I'm like, I can't believe. They're like, you, you know, our family doesn't care about it see that this, see that something happens to this stuff mm. um so that's you know that i'm getting into that layer where we're starting to really really see uh what's physically here as well in fa- family collections and stuff
0: that's amazing because you're you're connecting history you're bringing it back alive and you are just telling stories that would would otherwise be lost. You're really just telling a narrative and a story. Uh, but like we talked about, that's so much more important in in a sense than the x's and o's of battle. Not that they're not important, but yeah. you know, 160 years later, with yeah. the wealth of material in the Civil War, that's really yeah. where the material of undiscovered knowledge lies yeah. is is in yeah. those individual stories.
1: Yeah, and and I think in in addition to like their the context and the importance of their post-war lives and because that's the story of Western migration. It's the story of mm. you know American exceptionalism and nationalism of the 1890s and becoming a global power. That's all related to these stories too. But what people, rather than the X's and O's of the battlefield, they want to know the X's and O's of why the war happened and yeah. what motivated these guys to go to war and how do they deal with these things after the war? Causality really is relevant now Mm -hmm. and so that's when 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 people come on tours and come to presentations those are the questions they have they never they never want to know uh you know where states rights Gist's brigade was at stones river they that doesn't they don't totally don't care um but if they wanted were they fighting for slavery and then i'd say well let's talk about this in one individual and what we know about him. Um, So, so yeah, there's just, there's just so much more around it that that people want to know about um, that. that It's nice to offer that, I think.
0: And I think that's encouraging because that's really where the value of the study of history lies is looking at the past to answer the questions we have today. And I think that's, you know, we talked about TikTok and how both of us, saw a great growth on there and were kind of shocked by it. That thirst for it, I think, does come from the questions of, well, I kind of remember the Civil War from my history class in high school.
1: Yeah.
0: How does it affect what I'm seeing on the news today? How does it play into, yeah. you know, or, how, or even, you know, here in Ohio, uh, right down the road, we have a Grant Street and a Sherman Street right next to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so grappling with the legacies of these men, um, Lincoln, and the, the common soldier even. Uh, yeah it's encouraging to see people looking to the past to answer today's questions
1: yeah and and they're remarkably curious about it i think i think especially with civil war history you get in such a bubble about it in uh again the x's nose of the battlefield that that you miss the opportunity to let people have the that conversation otherwise mm. because you turn you turn them away with that and it's, and it doesn't even have to tie to some specific current events kind of thing, but it's just topical because it's sort of, like you said, grappling with, with we don't have to grapple just with slavery, but Grant and Sherman. I mean, I get more heat on, on TikTok. If I put a post about Robert E. Lee, I'll get traitor, slave, blah, 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 the usual kind of comments. But if I put a post about Sherman, it's insane yeah, the reaction it really I get from people about Sherman he's a war criminal, he's this, he's that, he's this, and then, then you have to have the discussion of, well, they didn't have the G- Geneva Convention Rules of Warfare in 1865, like, that's that's how they figured this stuff out. And is, if
0: you didn't want your farm burned, you probably shouldn't have shot a rifle at somebody else. Like,
1: <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, and so you so all of a sudden you open up this huge can of stuff that you're not even talking about Civil War much anymore, yeah. because you're talking about just general like rules of hostility and civilized warfare and whatever. And, um, and that's, yeah, people love that in the relevance. If you can use the civil war history as the way to let people have those discussions, it's, it's fun. And it's exciting for me. I mean, I'd, I, when I, I don't know how, how your content is specifically on TikTok but but uh, I'd much rather do stuff like that than, than, a recap of the battle of so-and-so or mm-hmm. this is this is the story of where they produced this uh, certain three-inch ordnance rifle was this this arsenal or whatever that's kind of fun but man i'd rather throw a sherman thing out there and just just duke it out with some people over yeah that kind of stuff that 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 excites me and it challenges me because then i'll go i don't know the answer to that question right why what what did what the hell did sherman do i guess i better read about that now mm-hmm. To know because people have reactions that you have to react, like counter react to. And as a public historian, that's thrilling.
0: And they'll so, fact check you to a T to like the <laughs> most minute. We went to, my fiance and I went to uh, Ulysses S. Grant's 200th birthday celebration. Uh-huh. And Dr. Kirk Fields was there, who's like the okay. Grant living historian. Yeah. I asked him a question about down the road here in Georgetown, there is this lot. And Grant stepped foot there once. And it was like, you're just trying to stump him right now. But yeah. but people will. They'll hold you to, I mean, you yeah. better not make a mistake because they will yeah. <laughs> call you on it.
1: Yeah. And I like, I like that challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, I know a lot of people can get really defensive about it. And I think I did early on, too. I think people would say, well, you know, there's a difference between somebody challenging you and somebody throwing a stupid, well, actually – Cause I get a lot of that. I'd say, yeah, they'd go, well, actually the civil war veterans came out here to get free land after them. I'm like, no, they didn't. And you have to battle these com- misconceptions. But when someone's kind of like, you know, well, I don't think so. I think so-and-so was there and you have to go, well, wait a minute. Am I right about that? I don't know. Yeah. Let me look it up. And, um, and that's rewarding because sometimes you can be wrong. And if you let down your defenses a little bit and go, well, this guy's thing sounds ridiculous. And it sounds lost cause and whatever. And man, I don't want to give this the time of day, but let me look at what he's specifically saying. And a couple of times they've been right. Like, oh yeah. Okay. You got, yeah. yeah I mean, you, you win. You know, I learned.
0: They, yeah. They make interesting arguments and you're right. Sometimes it's just nonsense. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's well, so, not even an answer too. That's the thing. Sometimes someone will dispute a fact or that an event happened or something and there might not be an actual answer. Cause you yeah. might have multiple sources that are contradictory and that's part of the fun of history is you're almost like yeah. a detective. Well, you, you literally yeah. are, you're going through and finding yeah. these people and their stories. And, and I think that's what makes it come alive. I mean, yeah. What keeps it alive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. And I think what I enjoy about it, kind of going back to the beginning, I guess about the whole thing is, since I'm not a battlefield guide and I don't work in a museum and I don't work in a physical collection full of civil war uniforms or something at an institution somewhere, I don't get to like walk the ground, so to speak, but the ground, but I do get to walk this historical ground Mm -hmm. and connect those stories. And, um, in that, doing that detective work is so, is so rewarding. And if I did live in South central Pennsylvania, I'd probably do what you were talking about with knowing every brigade and battalion at Gettysburg and have that kind of knowledge, but being removed from it, you just got to find your ground that you can walk and where that fresh detective work is and mm-hmm. do your best and roll with the punches. Cause you'll get, you'll get some punches and some heat. That's for right. sure. Definitely. You definitely will. Well, we've been at
0: it for over an hour now. So do you want yeah, yeah. listeners a way that they can, Support you. I know there's TikTok, there's your website, has a blog on there. There's walking yeah. tours. You know, can they reach out to you anyway? Anything you want to plug?
1: Yeah. So you can just search Civil War Seattle on any platform. Um, some I'm not active on, but I have claimed my real estate across <laughs> the internet and across the app store. Um, but my my website is com. That's kind of the hub. Um, I do have a blog, but I've been not real active with it, but that's the where the walking tour schedules, uh, that kind of stuff. Facebook is probably my second best as far as in-depth stuff source and a great way to communicate with me um, through Facebook Messenger or to get my email or whatever is through either of those two sites. Uh, I do have a of t- uh, YouTube, but it's probably less active. Um, and then TikTok, just Civil War Seattle on TikTok is... is um, going hard for sure. Uh, it's it's my favorite platform to work on at the moment, so I put the most the most as far as quantity on TikTok. But TikTok's like it's pretty general. You're not going to get a lot of Seattle specific stuff. That's more general Civil War history for people all over. Um, but yeah, Facebook and and CivilWarSeattle.com are are my my hubs for for what's going on what's what's coming up what's scheduled that sort of thing um and if yeah if you disagree or agree or have information or whatever um everybody's got some family member that went out west or something so so i love to hear from people from from all over you don't have to be connected with seattle so
0: well excellent it's been a great discussion thank you for joining me
1: yeah thanks for inviting me it was it was a blast (laughs) I hope you
0: enjoyed this episode of the civil war center podcast please like share and subscribe to help the podcast grow i hope you'll join us next week and as always please head to the civilwarcenter.com to learn more and you can find us on patreon in the link below please consider donating to help this podcast continue have a great week